Besser centers. And here's Pedersen. Scores! Welcome to the pilot episode of the Avid Discussers podcast. I'm Joshua Ray, and I'm really excited to get this thing off the ground. And I'm not going to be alone for this journey because I have my co-host and our good friend, Ty Party. Ty, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I'm good. And uh, we were supposed to record this on Saturday, yeah. but I ran into some difficulties which uh, I'll get into now. So it was like really early in the morning and then it was raining like super hard outside throughout the night. And uh, which I, what I didn't know was there was, there was a thunderstorm and I was awakened by this really loud uh, noise. It was like, just like, bam, that's, that's how loud it was. And, what I didn't know, like, after a few hours, that our power went out. And I, I later found out that a bolt of lightning struck one of our power lines near near my place, and we had no power. And I really wanted to record this podcast on Saturday, but I was really ticked off with no power. And I didn't want to risk my, my laptop's battery either. So we moved it up to t- today. And I was without power for 12 hours. Jeez. It, it was painful. Just painful. But thankfully, it went back on before dinner time. Because I did not want to eat dinner in the dark. Or take a shower in the dark. But thank God that's over. Are you ready to get started then? Yeah, we'll get started. Enough about me. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's start with the Western Conference playoff matchups for the qualifying round. We got the Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers, the Vancouver Canucks and Minnesota Wild, Nashville Predators and Arizona Coyotes, and the Calgary Flames and Winnipeg Jets. So let's start off with Calgary and Winnipeg. Ty, you can go first for this. Um, I think this is one of those matchups where you've got uh, you know, Winnipeg, who the Winnipeg's not the team that they used to be. Um, 
and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, misconception over that people think that the team that they used to be. Um, I think if I'm correct, like Winnipeg was like a bottom 10 offense, but, uh, and their defense was like, uh, you know, Detroit Red Wings level, but because they had such a good goaltending performance from uh, Hellebuck and, uh, and I think they probably had a top 10 power fit, if I'm correct, or relatively close to that. Um, they're going to end up in the, in the playoffs because of it. Um, and on the other hand, you've got Calgary, who's, uh, you know, taken a little bit of a step back from prior, uh, prior years. Uh, but they still have a, you know, a relatively strong top six, uh, you know, a couple of guys on defense still that um, I don't know if they're a contending team. Like, you know, you would have thought of them maybe being in the past, but uh, they still have a lot of pieces in the, in their core, like uh, Goudreau, Lindholm, Monaghan, uh, Kachuk, Giordano, that, you know, I think that they're relatively um, stable to win this series and maybe four or five, I think uh, you're going to see Hellebuck steal at least one of these games. But um, I just see Calgary as the way better team, in my opinion. Uh, I don't see, I don't really see it a way that Winnipeg wins this series other than Hellebuck maybe stealing the entire series himself. Yeah, I'll have to agree with you on that because uh, Calgary, they have better depth at Ford, but Winnipeg, Connor Hellebuck, he's pretty much my pick for the, the Vesna. You can even make the case of the heart even. And he may steal one game, maybe even two. And Winnipeg, as you said, have regressed quite a bit this year. Their defense is not as good as it was in the past, uh, even though they – maybe it's because they lost guys like Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers. And their best defenseman, uh, I could say, is probably Josh Morrissey, but he hasn't been good enough this year. Uh, guys like Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, and Blake Wheeler, they carry the offense, but someone like Patrick Alina has hasn't been up to form. And their bottom six isn't as good as well. But for Calgary – uh, Goudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk, Lindholm, uh, those guys carried a decent top six. They got good forward depth. But their defense isn't too bad, but it could better get better with Travis Hamnick and Noah Hannafin returning from injuries. But the thing about the Flames, it has been their kryptonite for years now, is goaltending. And ever since Mika Kiprasov retired, they haven't been they haven't had that goaltender that could really steal them games and all that. So with David Riddich and uh, Cam Talbot, you could question their ability to play in playoff games. But overall, I think Calgary would take this in five because I think they're just a better team all around. Other question I would ask, though, is, uh, you know, which goaltender are you going with at this point? Oh, yeah. Um, Riddich, I believe, is who they've been playing more because I think down the stretch before the season came to a close, I might be wrong here, he kind of went on a a mini hot streak. Uh, Talbot's been pretty questionable throughout the entire season, so I believe they'll go with Riddich. Here, let me pull up the numbers here for a second. Yeah, I think I think you go with Riddich too. 
I don't, I don't really see it. like Talbot, you know, a good veteran in the whole bit, but you know, they really haven't been, there has not been a good goaltender in Calgary for a while. And, yeah. and even this year, uh, you know, Rich wasn't that good either, but they kind of had to ride him in, in, in a lot of aspects because they had nowhere else to go. And Talbot's not much of an upgrade, but I, I'd almost lean towards Talbot. Oh, I, I'm going to go with the hot take there. Okay. Wow. Um, so do you have a series prediction? I'm going to go with uh, Calgary and five because All I right. think Halibut's going to be able to win about two of those. He's going to win. If they're, if Winnipeg's going to win, it's because of Halibut. And I think that at least one of these games, he's going to win them for it. All right. I, that's the same prediction I made. So let's move on to Chicago and Edmonton and you can take the floor here first. Uh, okay. I got some more numbers for this one. Uh, when you're looking at wins above replacement, just from the top to bottom of the lineup, uh, defense and forward combined, uh, Edmonton's going to be 17th with eight, uh, 8.6 wins. Uh, Chicago is 10.7, so they rank 13th. So Chicago, theoretically, from top to bottom, has a better offense. Uh, when you look at the power play, though, Edmonton's first in the league with an insanely efficient power play. And Chicago's 28th by wins above replacement on, in their power play. Um, so realistically, I think, um, uh, you got to look at the, like, and the numbers make sense because, uh, Edmonton has a really strong top six. So that's going to push them to like, you know, average territory, at least with how good they are. The only thing is that they basically have nobody else that can score. So, um, that's the other thing that the Chicago is kind of the same way. Like a lot of these guys, like Alex Debrinkit, um, Dylan Strom, they just aren't what they use. They, they had a really good um, campaign last season, and it just hasn't been as good this year at all. Uh, you look at defense, um, that's where I think uh, Edmonton gives me the... I, I give Edmonton the tilt for the series because of how bad Chicago is on defense. Um, 30th wins above replacement with... Uh, or you know, rank 30th with uh, negative four wins above replacement. Well, Chicago is 18th on defense. Um, shorthanded penalty kills, relatively the same. The only thing that was keeping uh, Chicago afloat really was their goaltending. Um, the shot suppression, they were 31st in the league with the 2.8 expected goals against per 60. So I think I really don't see – they kind of match up in a sense that like Edmonton's strength, I guess, is offense and Chicago's defense is like really the weakness of the team that I'd have to lean with Edmonton in this matchup. Yeah, I think I'll have to go with Edmonton here. And mainly because McDavid and Dreisaitl, they're, un- they're an unstoppable duo. And as you said, they got the best power play in in the league, it looks like. And I think that Chicago, well, they aren't really the team of old, but Taze and Kane are still pretty much in their prime. They don't have a lot of... Uh, depth in the bottom six but that could help with a guy like drake kajula coming back but um other than taze and kane uh where's your secondary scoring alex to he scored 40 last e- year and has gone quiet this year and their defense isn't as good but that could also change with a guy like calvin dehan coming back from injury though it is unlikely duncan keith 
he's not the same Duncan Keefe of five years ago. And their goaltending, I think, could steal a game, but it's not enough to win the series. And Edmonton, other than McDavid and Dreisaitl and, I guess, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, they don't really have a good supporting cast for forwards as well. And on defense, it's not terrible, but it's also not good as well. And goaltending, they got guys like, uh, what's his face, Miko Kaskainen and Mike Smith. Who are you going to ride there with? I don't know if either of these guys could take you far in the playoffs, but probably go with uh, Koskinen because Mike Smith had his had his tr- struggles. But I'll go with Edmonton in four here. What about you? Um, I think I probably have to tend lean around the same because, um, and the Edmonton goalie debate's another one we can get into after, but I'd probably say, uh, I'd probably go with Edmonton in four, maybe five. Um, it's tough. The other, one of the metrics I really like to look at though is, is quality start percentage, which is theoretically how many times you actually get outplayed kind of takes the luck out of it. Um, and so. Edmonton was 22nd and uh, Chicago was 28th. So, so there's a relatively sizable uh, mark in that position there. Uh, for Edmonton, you know, Koskinen was actually, a, a, you know, relatively really good goalie this year. Um, so I think I would ride him out of Smith. I think there's a sizable advantage between the two. And I think uh, I, I'd probably have to go with Edmonton. I think this might go to five. So I'm going to go with Edmonton at five. All right. Let's move on to the Vancouver Canucks and Minnesota Wild. Ty, go ahead. All right. The series of the hour. Um, the big question for Vancouver, I think, in this series is going to be, is your top six and your goal, is your top six good enough to deal with all the depth issues you have with your bottom six? And is Jacob Markstrom good enough to cover up your defensive holes? Um, when you're looking at the numbers of this, Minnesota is one of those teams that they had an insanely high shooting percentage, um, and, and their even strengths, uh, their even strength wins above replacement was uh, fifth in the league with 12.4, uh, relatively higher than Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver did have the advantage on the power play, but they both had pretty efficient power plays. Um, the only event, the only thing I was looking at though was. Um, the expected goals was actually in favor of Vancouver. Uh, well, Minnesota pretty much has a top 10 offense. If you're looking at all the numbers together, uh, I think, you know, most of that comes from uh, their ability to finish at a high rate instead of actually, you know, getting a ton of chances or quality chances also add on to there. Uh, when you look at defense, this is the part I worry about with Vancouver because Minnesota already has a good enough offense, you know, to win that they're, and then their defense on top of that is probably top three in the league. I would, I would go with around there. Uh, I don't think many people are going to argue against that. Uh, Vancouver is sitting around probably the 20 to 25 range for defense for me. And uh, Minnesota's in probably one to three. The only thing that would, that would make me choose Vancouver over them is if I think Jacob Markstrom can come back and play in the form he was before the injury, which is, it's a big if. And, you know, 
it pains me to to want to think Minnesota stands a really good chance to win this series, but that's the thing is you have to you have to figure out is Vancouver's top six going to be able to perform at a rate high enough for them to beat a really strong defensive team and hold down their depth issues where Minnesota is already strong. Um, going back also to that metric, I really like with quality starts. Uh, Minnesota was fourth in the league with 62%. Vancouver was 18th with 51%. So there's another very sizable advantage in Minnesota's favor. Um, I, I'm gonna, I hate to do it on a Vancouver podcast, but I'm going to go with Minnesota in five. Wow. <laughs> okay. So that's a hot take there. Um, the Vancouver Canucks have probably one of the best top sixes in the league. And you got a young core of Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat, and Besser. Even guys like Adam Gaudet and Jake Rutanen, they're itching for playoff experience. But don't forget, the Canucks have some veteran leadership as well that have had playoff experience. Jay Beagle has won a Stanley Cup. So have Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson. And JT Miller, uh, he's made some, played some playoff games with the Lightning and the Rangers as well. But there were some questions with this team. Like, is this top six good enough to uh, cover up the holes of the bottom six death issues? And can Markstrom go back to being the Jacob Markstrom he was before getting injured? Because he masked a lot of the Canucks' problems. Uh, defense. Uh, has it had some issues all year, but uh, Quinn Hughes, I don't really have to say so much about him, is Quinn Hughes. And I think uh, Canucks fans should not take this series lightly because Minnesota, they're a team that can bite you in the ass. Um, I always found them a strange team uh, because they're just one of the teams that are just, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I forgot they exist. But uh, they do have better forward depth than Vancouver, and it could hurt. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk is a guy who uh, solidifies the bottom six, and he has been known for scoring against the Canucks in the past, so watch out for him. And uh, guys like Kevin Fiala, he's having a career year, and you got to watch out for him. Even though uh, someone like Zach Parise he may not be the Zach Parise of like five, six years ago. He still, still got some juice left in the tank. Their goaltending, um, it's not good. Uh, Doom, Doomnik is having a down year and Staylock isn't much better. So the Canucks have the advantage there. But you really got to be careful of Minnesota because they've got uh, better depth in the bottom six and even the defense so the Canucks got to be careful of that they got um, guys with plenty of playoff experience as well and the Canucks um, some of their young guys may be intimidated by that but let's hope not but I think the Canucks got the edge here but I'm going to go with the Canucks in five games I, I think I could see yeah, I, I'm so so torn on it because there's such a there's a path to victory for Vancouver that like I I, I almost want to just say Vancouver in five but that's that's more of my heart speaking in the whole bit if I'm giving like a heart like obviously I'm gonna cheer for them in the whole bit but like if I'm giving an unbiased opinion like I'm ah, it's tough to pick um, 
The other thing, though, is obviously uh, I, I could see what do you think about Felino having like legitimately like a Michael Furlan type impact against the Canucks? Like I just see it happening. Yeah. I kind of see it as well because I, I see it happening. The Canucks have no answer and I don't want to say it in the whole bit, but the Canucks have no answer for toughness. If he start, if they start dumping Jason and he's just flying in, there goes Hughes into the corner every time. Like I, I just see it happening. Yeah. Um, the playoffs is where someone like a Felino could, um, and is your answer to put McEwen in the lineup or who did the Canucks like if you have a Michael healthy, healthy Michael Furlan then you know maybe you have the answer there but like there's no maybe Jordy Ben like you don't really have like uh, like a Darcy Hordachuk or Rafi Torres like you don't have one of those guys anymore like I, I, it's different hockey nowadays but I almost feel like if if he gets going like there's nothing the Canucks can do about it yeah, um, this is why the Canucks uh, signed Michael Furlan, and it's unfortunate that he's injured. But what's the answer to a guy like that? As you don't have one, McEwen, uh, maybe Antoine Roussel, but I don't know if he's enough for the task. Yeah, but this is this is a tough call because I don't want to be biased either. But uh and, and and the other thing, obviously, is like. Yeah, like it's it's getting pointed out. Obviously, like is that if the top six is like way more efficient than like they were for like the majority of the season, that like yeah, it's gonna be the numbers are gonna end up being better than they were before. Like like when Pedersen's line was on the ice, like the Canucks are controlling fifty six percent of the shots, which is like elite, like contending level numbers. So like the I'd say like and then you put like say you put Besser or Toffoli onto Horvat's wing, like those numbers are obviously going to be elevated more. But again, I look at the bottom six and I say like, are they going to be able to improve like enough for it to be like relatively like, like say your matchup is either going to be, you're either going to have Godet's line probably facing either Zuccarello, like Galchenyuk, that third line with Felino, or you're going to have Zach Parise and, and like pick your poison because both are going to be really tough lines to, to play against. And I'd say the fourth line, obviously, playoff experience and the whole bit. Um, it, it's a tough matchup for both aspects. I'd say the, 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 key, the clear advantage the Canucks have is that top line. Uh, and, and anybody that they, they're matched up against doesn't matter against Minnesota. It's going to be a plus advantage for Vancouver. It's just everything past that. And you can only ride your top line so much before they're burnt out into the next series. Yeah, um, you mentioned that third line of Felino, Zuccarello, and Galchenia. That third line scares me because uh, a line really like does. that, that li- a line like that, could really bite you in the playoffs. I think that that's that's going to be the deciding factor of this series. Almost is is how good it can the Canucks shut down that that third line because it's going to be such a matchup problem. Yeah, and the Canucks they've got only the advantages in I guess goaltending. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. And as you mentioned, probably the top six. Yeah. But and, and the other thing is though, like, is is the goaltending advantage so significant? Probably I'd say it's very significant. Is it significant enough to have the Canucks be able to like the thing is is they're probably not gonna get as many chances as Minnesota. I, I'd probably expect if I was to predict it that uh Minnesota's probably gonna have more possession than the Canucks. But with their chances, is Vancouver going to be able to bury enough of them? 
I, there's obviously a very clear path for them to win this series. It's just a matter of if you think that happens. Yeah, I can see the Canucks. They can win this series, but they got to be careful with Minnesota. They can't take this team lightly. And Minnesota's got to stay out of the box, too. That's going to be a big part of the series because Vancouver's as dangerous as anybody on the power play. If, yep. if, if Minnesota takes penalties, like, look out because Vancouver's probably going to bury most of them because the, you know, the, old, the age old saying, as a goalie, you have to be your best penalty killer. And do the, does Minnesota have anybody that can legitimately stop anything uh, in net? Like, everything is going to go in. What, what it kind of reminds me of is, is when we were looking at Vegas and San Jose last year, is we were, you know, San Jose was the better team, but, you know, there was such a significant goaltending advantage that we're like, well, you know, Vegas should probably win the series because uh, San Jose has Martin Jones, who basically has done nothing for them all season. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota's goaltending, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's not that great. But this is the playoffs we're talking about. It's not yeah. the regular season. Sometimes. I think I'm going to change my prediction. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to overcut you. I'm going to change my prediction and go Canucks in five. The goaltending just, it, it, it's two. And call me flip-flop all you want. Like, whatever. Yeah, I'm, by making, the way, I'm, I'm, oh. I'm doubling down. Yeah, by the way, folks, uh, you're allowed to roast us for our takes on Twitter and on any other social media. You don't expect to be right. We're not those type of people who say, oh, I'm right, and you can't <laughs> prove me otherwise. So you want to plug that? Then? Find me at a Tea Party Twenty One, and uh, yeah, I find you're at Joshua Ray Ninety One. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the next series on the West, the final one. We got the Nashville Predators and the Arizona so Coyotes. Ty, you can go first. We both, we both, so we both got Canucks in five. We're just, we're just making sure so that nobody yeah, says no. I have Minnesota in five. Okay, yeah. I'm going Canucks in five. Sure. Okay, we're talking about Nashville and Arizona. I, I legitimately think this is going to be sweet for Nashville because I, I might be alone here. But, like, you look at Nashville, and, and Nashville, in my opinion, has, you know, two, two Norris candidates. Probably Ellis probably would have won the Norris if, uh, if he didn't get hurt because he was that good this year. Um, again, if I look at quality starts, which is a, a stat I really like, um, they're relatively even with Nashville at 52% and Arizona at 51. Uh, defensive numbers, relatively even. But what gives me the, uh, the same between the two, I think, is, the, uh, is how good Nashville's offense is. They have such a deep core. That third and fourth line is probably you know, just as good, if not better, than anybody in the entire NHL. Um, top six is not what it used to be. But you know, a lot of these guys are still there. And Matt Duchesne bringing him in as a, as a second line center is can he amp it up for the playoffs? Um, you just don't know. Uh, but the thing is, is I look at this Arizona team. Taylor Hall has not lived up to expectations. Phil Kessel is clearly not the player he used to be. Uh, and, and Clayton Keller, I, I think, was kind of an overrated guy in a lot of aspects when he got his contract. That I, I wasn't a big fan of it. That I just don't. I don't see. I don't look at this Arizona lineup and, and say like. Oh, this guy, like I'm, he's dangerous. Like you, you see Taylor Hall, but like Taylor Hall hasn't been like the Taylor Hall we've seen in the past. That uh, the only way I see this series happening is if Arizona buries their you know chances and Darcy Kemper is right back in form where he was before he got hurt. 
Yeah, um, Nashville has the better depth at forward and defense. Though Pecorine uh, has kind of lost the starting job to UC Saros, I believe he'll get it back for the playoffs. And you look at this Nashville team, they've, on the defense, uh, Roman Yossi uh, is pretty much a prime contender for the North. And don't forget about Ryan Ellis as well. Uh, he's pretty solid. And Nashville, uh, guys like Victor Arvison, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, uh, these guys um, could amp it up in the playoffs and just could take a team out. But my only worry about Nashville is the penalty kill because from what I've seen this season, it's not it hasn't been that good. But things can change in the playoffs. You never know. And for the Coyotes, Taylor Hall, the trade hasn't worked out. And can he get the old Taylor Hall back in him for the playoffs? Their top six isn't bad, but a guy like Phil Kessel, he's not the fill the thrill of the past. Uh, Clayton Keller, probably one of the best players in that top six. Their defense, it's all right. Not too bad. Oliver ekman Larson is the best. Uh, defenseman on there, and Darcy Kemper, uh, I forgot who's Arizona's backup, but their goaltending, it's just meh. But if he if Kemper can turn up in the playoffs, he could probably steal a game, but I'm not sure about the series. I think I'll have to agree with you, Ty, but this is a Nashville sweep because the Predators got the depth. Um, they've got things uh, intact except for the penalty kill. And the Arizona Coyotes, they're just a, to me, they're like a team. They're just a team in the middle. They're just a meh team all around for me. That's no offense to any Coyotes feel. fans. And, and, and the other thing, though, is like Nashville, when you look at it from like a wins above replacement standpoint, their penalty kill was the seventh best in the league. So hmm. um, that, how, and the other thing is, though, I'd say like from a player standpoint, they had a good penalty kill, but their goaltending was so terrible that it pretty much, you know, it, it wiped out anything that the good that they even accomplished. Like I just pulled it up. Um, Pekka Rene was, uh, Rene was the uh, 48th ranked goalie. So, you know, uh, of starters, he was probably like the third, fourth worst in, that got regular minutes. And, and Kemper was the second best. And if he hadn't got hurt, he probably would probably wouldn't have asked now, I'm assuming. Uh, obviously he'd be, you know, with hell, but he'd probably be in it. A good conversation between the two. But, uh, you know, Antti Ranta, even if they go to him, he's the eighth best guy this year as a goalie. So there's not much of a drop. There's not much of a drop off, I would say. Like, there's a significant drop off, but like not, not enough to like turn the series around for me. Um, and then I, I think uh, I, I just I can't see how Nashville doesn't win this series. They, I think it's a sweep. Uh, I think that you go with Saros, who he was, a, you know, a league average goaltender, maybe a little bit above average, but uh, certainly a an upgrade from, you know, the third worst goal in the league in, in Pacarene. Yeah, there's not much to say about the series. I'm just going to go with Nashville as a sweep as well. Just the, only, the only sweep I can really see uh, in, on, the, on the Western Conference, I'll say that. Yeah, pretty much. But um, that's our Western matchup previews, and we'll do the Eastern matchup previews for the next episode.
So let's move on back to Vancouver. Who is the most valuable Canucks player? Ty, you have stirred up quite a debate saying Pedersen is the most valuable Canucks player. Now, I want to offer my take in the, to this. Valuable usually doesn't mean best. It could, but think of the word valuable. Valuable is a player who uh, someone that's important to to the team it could be their best player but valuable it usually means who like someone that's important like someone who is the glue that can put the team together now in terms of that you could argue Markstrom is the most valuable player because he's been helping them win games and covering up their problems but going forward I'd have to give it to Elias Patterson because let's face it, he is the face of this franchise going forward. Without him, the Canucks aren't the, the same. And we all know about his offensive abilities to score, uh, make plays, but you got to rate his defensive abilities as well. He knows how to uh, get the puck away from the corners, help get the puck up the ice. But um, this this is quite the debate topic. Ty, what's your take on the most valuable Canucks player? Okay, I think here's the thing. You look at Markstrom, who had 2.1 wins above replacement. Um, so that was rel- that was like around the range of you know Kevin BX uh, 2011 territory for in terms of importance. Uh, you look at Elias Pettersson. He, I looked at these numbers last night. I posted on Twitter. Since 0708, when kind of analytics in hockey really started to skyrocket, um, Elias Pettersson, out of any Canuck, has put, put together the second highest Winslow replacement season, right behind Christian Ehrhoff in 2009-2010. With 4.2 Winslow replacement, Christian Ehrhoff put up 4.8. That is better than any single Sedine season since 0708. Um, mostly due to the fact that, you know, he had a much better probably defensive uh, profile than the Sedins had during those years. Uh, his his offense wasn't, you know, it probably wasn't even close to to what they were, uh, you know, twenty the two thousand eight, two thousand nine, uh, two thousand ten that that area. Um, the Sedins obviously had better offense, but you look at Pedersen's defensive profile, people don't even discuss how good it really is. Um, but and the other thing was obviously I I you know the definition of value uh i was reading an article that that pointed out a team's total wins above replacement uh looking at every every player uh and pedersen had like the third highest percentage of his total teams of wins above replacement behind uh panarin and hellbuck so what's your definition of value is 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 it by the numbers of this player is the most valuable player, or is it if you take him all the lineup, are they going to not contend? Because if you take Pedersen all the lineup, I, 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 I struggle to think that the Canucks are really a... I think the Canucks are almost a lottery team without him in the lineup. Yeah, others have made the case for Quinn Hughes being most valuable player, or even JT Miller. Now, Hughes um, is without a doubt the best Canucks defenseman. If you don't think so, um, I don't know. You're an idiot. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, yeah, the Canucks defense cannot survive without Quinn Hughes. He 
uh, quarterback's a power play. He covers up his partner's mistakes. He knows how to get the puck up the ice. Like watching Quinn Hughes get the puck up the ice and and accelerate, always a treat to watch. Now, JT Miller is an interesting one. Um, I don't have the analytics for, for this, but from what I've heard, JT Miller um, has made that top line uh, really good. But would you, if you take him out of the lineup, um, the Canucks probably would be a weaker team. But in terms of, would you really consider him most valuable? He's one of those guys that, that like, you he does all the stuff that's not on the stat sheet but i wouldn't consider him to be like a, a most valuable player he's a great like he's a first line winger you know if you're asking me like he's a legit first line winger uh and i think he he kind of does all the stuff to keep Patterson clean you know he, he goes into the corners and is i the other thing that when they were talking about bringing him here was um i was advocating to put him uh, at the bottom of the power play, kind of that down low region, because his vision to get the puck out into the slot for high quality chances was like insane. And uh, and people were saying like you talk to anybody in Tampa, uh, that was one of the things that they were going to miss the most on the power play was just his presence down low because he's such a smart player. Um, I think it kind of, it, it lets Pedersen play a little more free knowing that he's going to be in the corners. He's going to be the guy that's forechecking, taking care of all that stuff. But I, 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 when you talk about like most valuable player, he probably isn't even consideration for me because Pedersen's just that good. Yeah. I don't really consider Miller to be in the most valuable player conversation. It, to me, it goes down to Pedersen, Hughes and Markstrom, but we can go all with this but let's move on to the our award predictions and that's kind of a topic going on right now so ty let's start with the uh the heart i'm gonna go with the uh i'm gonna go with the most bold one and i would say it's it's connor hellbook because uh he was that important to his team but if we're not going to be talking about uh hellbook i would go with uh panarin in new york because uh he put together the top uh, top year, in my opinion, as a skater. And and those that think Dreisaitl, I think, uh, those that are advocating for him to get the heart, I, I don't see it because he was so terrible at defense and everything else that he wasn't driving play. He just finished at an insanely high rate. And uh, he basically did nothing else in his game that, are you going to give it to a guy just for scoring? Like, is that the only thing you're going to go to? Like, look at the other aspects of his game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with – I wanted to go with Dreisaitl, but I think I'll go with Artemi Panarin of the Rangers. Uh, he's um, doing more than just scoring. From what I've heard, uh, he's, a, he's been great all around. Um, he's been helping the Rangers. They were in the playoff hunt. Uh, before the season uh, stopped, and Panarin was just, in a way, almost carrying them. And I think um, Dreisaitl, while a good player, but as you said, do you give the heart for the top scorer, or um, does the MVP award go to someone who um, is someone 
leads their team through through all this. And I think Panarin, he's just um, probably the best free agent acquisition of last summer. And I think without without Panarin, the Rangers would be a lottery team. Um, and the other thing to add in, though, is like, you know, if you're asking from a pure numbers standpoint, uh, Connor Hallibuck was the most important, you know, most valuable player. Uh, 4.8 wins above replacement. Uh, I think Panarin was 4.4, if I'm correct. And, and right, right behind him is Pedersen with 4.2. So, so those are the three, in my opinion, that were, were going for the heart because nobody else is above four wins above replacement this entire year. Um, I think that I'd almost want to lean Hellbook, but you know, it's basically impossible for a goalie to ever win the heart. Um, that in a, it, it's, it's kind of almost like uh, giving the, it's almost like giving the MVP in the NFL to somebody outside of a quarterback. Like it's, it's in the sense, that's what giving the heart is like to a goalie. It just doesn't happen really. Yeah, well, and uh, I, I think uh, Panarin was just, uh, if you're if you're talking from a skater standpoint, Panarin was the most important player of his team, in my opinion. Hold on, this is get last goalie to win the Hart Trophy. I gotta look this up. I, I'd like to know the same. <laughs> uh, okay, so the winners goalie goalie. Like Connor Hellebuck was like one point oh, three wins. Actually, not too long ago. Who was it? It was Carey Price in twenty fourteen. Yeah, that's why I figured. I was figured. And now he's now he's not even that good. People just yeah, <laughs> will think he's and the, good. The guy before that was Jose Theodore in 2002 with the Montreal, also with the Canadians. What the hell? So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Connor Hall. Look, I understand. I, I, didn't, even th- I didn't even think there was that many. Yeah, I understand why you go want to go with him because uh, without Halibut's goaltending, where would the Jets be? Probably on the bottom for contending with San Jose. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Calder. Obviously, Quinn Hughes is what I'm going with. No bias in, in either way. No Ty. bias at all. Um, Ty, what do you have to say about the Calder? Uh, that's a, it, it's such a tough one because, like, if you're asking from a pure numbers standpoint, it's it's Kale McCarr. But, like, did he play enough? Uh, did he play enough games, though? That's the thing. And Quinn Hughes is like, it, it's like so. It's like by a sliver, though. It's like, like Adam Fox is right up in their conversation too. Like, uh, but like Kale McCarr drove play offensively and defensively better at even strength. But the power play, Quinn Hughes was like miles above like everybody else in the con- in conversation really for it. Um, that it, it's just ah. Uh, I don't want to go against it, obviously, because it's a Vancouver podcast. <laughs> but like, I, I think the the only argument I, I, the argument I'd make for Hughes, obviously, is that he got thrown right into a really tough situation, uh, playing with you know he does, It's not like he has any superstars playing really around him outside of that power play that he has to elevate the play of his other teammates that. You know, instead of Kale McCarr getting to jump right in with Colorado, who's like contending for a Stanley Cup, that Quinn Hughes is like, 
can Quinn Hughes gets thrown into a team that was legitimately in lottery conversation at the start of the year. Um, that I would say that if you're talking from a value standpoint, uh, I'm going to go with Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Uh, Kel McCarr plays for Colorado and they got guys like Nathan McKinnon, Gabe Landis, Cog and all that. They're, they're a contender and I expect them to go deep in the playoffs, but as you said, McCarr has driven the play much better than Hughes. I won't say much better, but better at offense and defense. But for the Canucks, without Quinn Hughes, uh, look at that defense. It's it's not good. Like, um, uh, he is pretty much the reason why a guy like, well, I wouldn't say pretty much the reason. Like, for example, when he plays with Tyler Myers, Myers is a lot better than he is with someone like, I don't know, Jordy Ben. But uh, this is a really interesting debate, and we could go on for like a whole yeah. podcast episode for this. Um, but in terms of value, you got to give it to Quinn Hughes because um, McCarr, uh, he got injured uh, near the end of the season, and Colorado – uh, they they dipped a bit, but they didn't dip like a whole bit. Take Hughes out of the lineup, the Canucks cool. defense is in shambles. Uh, from a number standpoint, uh, if you're talking about points, obviously Quinn Hughes is the rookie scoring leader, but the Calder usually doesn't go to the scoring leader. It can, it cannot. But I'll have to go with Quinn Hughes, not because I'm biased, not because I'm a Canucks fan, not because I live in Vancouver. But I just think he's more valuable to his team than Makar is to Colorado. No respect to Makar, though. Makar is a solid young defenseman. And I believe he and Hughes will be two of the top defensemen in the league in the next decade. And the other thing you got to look at, though, too, is um, Adam Fox is, is right in that conversation, I think. And he's not even getting any love, really. Uh, for defensemen, I like to look at uh, expected wins by replacement. It kind of takes away the uh, the finishing talent because like defensemen really don't have a lot of a lot of say in in their forwards' ability to challenge uh, to finish shots and and score. Let's just say so. A guy like Kale McCarr, who has Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog in front of him, are obviously going to score at a higher rate than the Canucks' bottom six. Say if if Quinn Hughes is on the ice, so. If you're looking at expected wins for replacement, Adam Fox is the rookie of the uh, Calder. Uh, and then it's right, it's like neck and neck between uh, Kale McCarr and, point, and Quinn Hughes with a point one going to Kale McCarr. But it's, it's a conversation you could, you could always have, let's just say. All right, let's move on to the Norris. Ty, who do you have? I'm going to go with uh, Jared Spurgeon. Oh. And, and I know that's a little bit of a hot take, let's just say. But, um, again, for defensemen, I like to look at uh, expected wins by replacement. takes away the, the randomness, let's just say, with uh, the forward's ability to be able to, um, to score because the defensemen don't have a lot of say in that, let's just say. Uh, when you look at him, he was the most valuable defenseman when you're talking about from a value standpoint to his team. Uh, he had 2.7 expected wins by replacement. Uh, next guy was Shea Theodore, 2.5. Um, he's a two-way guy. I, I think he's one of the better defensemen in the entire league, and this year I think he was the best. 
I'm going to go with uh, – this one was a tough one. I was debating between John Carlson and Roman Yossi. I think I'll have to go with Yossi because um, having a good season. I believe he's above the seven. Uh, let me, actually, let me look this up. You uh, really can't go wrong with Yossi, though. I really, like, yeah, you really can't go wrong with him because he's um, – yeah, 65 points. I was right. Um, I was one of the best defensemen in the league. and. Um, Nashville, um, before the season was paused, um, they were hovering around that playoff spot, and I'm not sure if they would be there, but they have good depth. But Yossi, he's um, the big part of that team. Uh, he drives the play well. Uh, he's good on the offense, power play, and defense. Um, uh, he's arguably the league's most impactful defenseman in terms of driving play but uh you'll see he i yeah he's third among all skaters in ice time and he's played at least 25 minutes in 41 of 69 nice games this season and i think you'll see gets it over carlson because i believe he's he just is better all around this season uh, in my opinion, what 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 gives me what gives me a Spurge run? Let's just say is um, is he was already really good offensively, and it's the defensive impact for him. Um, he was already like a top six by you know uh, even strength once replacement uh, as a defenseman for uh, offensive ability, uh, and then you add in his defensive ability, it just it just gives me the uh, it gives me the level over uh, over Yosi for uh, for me. And the other th- other question, though, I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, Dougie Hamilton, if he doesn't get hurt, does he win uh, the Norris? That's a tough one. Uh, I do like I do like Dougie Hamilton, and I probably would have been had him in the conversation, but um, he got hurt and all that. But let me take a look at his stats right now. 40 points. He's a big part of the Flames defense, and I Carolina. believe he got – yeah, Carolina. I keep forgetting. <laughs> Is it what a dumb trade though? Like they should never have I gotten. I keep forgetting rid of him. that he's not with Calgary anymore, all because he didn't like museums or whatever. No, no, no. He he was going to museums because he wasn't going to Moxie's oh, with right. the boys. Oh, that's God, that's what the right. whole quote was. Yeah, he kept what a going, dumb trade. All because he kept going to museums and all that. Sorry, misspoke. But uh, Carolina kind of regressed. Uh, th- uh, this season compared to last season, and they were fighting for a playoff spot and. Hamilton was a big part of the reason why, but I probably would have put him in the conversation if hadn't he got hurt. 32, uh, 40 points. And I'm not sure what that is in a full 82 game season. Actually, let me calculate that right now. It's on pace for, wow, nice, 69 points. So I, I, the thing is, is like John Carlson, you know. Oh, he had his points. Like at the start of the season, everybody's just pointing it out. I just don't see. Uh, he didn't really have as strong of a defensive impact on the on the ice than he as he did offense. And for me to get that award, you, you have to have an all around game, and you just and, and if your offense is like Connor McDavid like, then it makes up for your deep litter lack of defense. But really, he didn't really have spectacular offense compared to these other guys. 
Yeah, that's why I pick Yossi. I think Yossi is much better all around, at least this season, than John Carlson this season. But let's move on to the Vesna. My pick is Connor Hellebuck. I think you would probably say the same thing. Without question. It's not even close, in my opinion. I think he's like, so he's got 4.8 wins for replacement. The next closest guy is Tuka Rask, Tuka Rask with 3.5. It's not even close how important he was to his team. He's the only reason they're even competing right now. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time with this. Like, the Jets would probably be close to the lottery without him. And their defense. They would is, be. Uh, their defense, they got problems. And up front, they're just. They just haven't been the same. And without Hellebuck, as you, they likely would have been a, a bottom 10, bottom 5 team. So, not much to say here. Hellebuck gets the Vesna. Uh, finally, uh, let's get the, the most comp- end with the most complicated one, the Selkie. You go first on this one because it's just it, it, it's kind of like it's one of those words that like people think people like NHL writers treat this as if it's like a two way award, but like by the name of the game, this is a defensive award. So like it. it I don't know why, like, people look at, like, stupid stats, like, plus minus or something for it. Okay, plus minus people, uh, it's not a good stat. Yeah, I don't understand why a lot of people, like, especially in the Canuck White comments, they think there's a guy who said Hughes uh, isn't the best Canucks defenseman because of plus minus. I'm not going to question <laughs> who he is, but uh, my brain Exposed. exploded when I read that. But um, anyway, this this is a very complicated award because it should be sure it's nice to have a two way game, but I think this award should be awarded for the forward who has a better defensive game, and um, this award has gone to Bergeron for many years, and I think he still would be in contention. But someone like Sean Couturier gets my vote. For now, this could change, but mainly because I've seen uh, his defensive game uh, for the Flyers this year is a pretty big reason why they went on that huge winning streak, and some say they could even win the Cup, but Couturier, um, his offensive numbers have been pretty good, but on defense, I think he's been excellent. Uh, He's been shutting down the opposing teams. So, um, I th- others have considered Anthony Sorelli. He, uh, I don't argue with that, but I think Couturier uh, had the better defense as a forward than Sorelli this year. At least that's just my opinion. I think you got to look at this as two angles. Is um, I think if you're asking from a pure even strength standpoint. It's Zach Aston and Reese from Pittsburgh. But then, like, you look at his, like, penalty kill numbers, and they weren't – they were, like, below replacement level. That what, – what makes me look at Blake Coleman is he's got such a strong penalty – he starts a strong even strength profile on defense and his shorthanded defense, too. Um, Gabe Laniscog is another guy I'd consider, but he never played penalty kill. So, like, if – again, if we're talking, like, pure even strength, then – you know, Gabe Landeskog has to be considered, but he never played, you know, penalty kill, which is another is a 
big defensive impact, big defensive part of hockey. Um, I don't know. I, I think I might have to, it's such a tough, tough award to give, let's just say. Because, uh, you, you know, you're always going to have people complaining either way. But like, I think, like, Zach Aston reese was so good at even strength on defense. I'm going to give it to him. All right. Um, that's all for the awards. Let's move on. I want to say something about G- uh, Jack Eichel. He's been in Buffalo five years. He's a very competitive guy. You know it. You know what he's capable of on the ice. And... Uh, I believe from what I've heard, he's frustrated in Buffalo and I honestly can't blame him like five years, no playoffs, uh, not much help. Sure. Rasmus Dillon, uh, could be considered a help, but he's got, he's got no one around him to help him. Like poor guy. Buffalo is like the team that I was like worried Vancouver was going to become. And, you know, we've kind of locked out with, uh, you know, Pedersen and Hughes, obviously, that we won't end up like that. Uh, but, like, you know, like Edmonton, like the way Edmonton ended up for a couple of years with Trelli, like you kind of just, like, worry that you have to extra of, like, that. And it's just, like, I, you feel bad for the guy at, at some point. Like, yeah, you, how long until he wants out of there and then Edmonton just goes, you know, in another downhill spiral? Because, obviously, like, the value for Eichel, obviously, you're not going to get it. And what what's to happen like when his contract runs out? Like all of a sudden he's definitely out of there if they haven't got, they haven't done anything. And got feel for Sabres fans too because oh. it's been nine <laughs> years without playoffs. Like that guy Dwayne who went on that radio saying, "I I spent money for this team. I can't blame him for ranting like that. You spent valuable of your money that you worked for on a team that can't get out of the pit." Yeah, like, come on, like Buffalo, the, their management throughout the years, they got to figure it out. Yeah, I'm no expert on this, but man, Buffalo got to figure. It's not just the Sabres fans either. Like Buffalo, it's it's cold. It's everything. Of, it's cold most of the year. It snows a lot. It's not the just football the Sabres. Team sucks. The Bills, their football team. <laughs> Because how long were they out of the playoffs before, like, last couple of years, too? Like, oh, my God. Like, how do you go to four straight Super Bowls and lose and them all? Uh, well, especially... and, and that. Like, it was, like, uh, it was it was over a decade since they went into, like, uh, and then all of a sudden, or what was it? A couple of years ago was over a decade, I'm pretty sure. I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but, like, they've just, you feel bad for them, at least. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, my God. Like Buffalo, it's it's to me is the saddest city in North American sports. Like you know, yep. poor Sabres fans, poor Bills fans. One day it'll be over for them, hopefully. Yeah. Right, let's let's move on to something a little bit more serious. So we you all know what's going on in the world. If you don't, uh, get your ha- get your head out of your out of your ass. Like seriously, there's protests all over the United States because you know why. And professional athletes have been speaking out. Ty, your takes on all this? Um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, a really serious issue, and it has to be talked about more. And um, I've been pretty vocal about it since you know Kaepernick actually started taking his knee. Uh, there were plenty of projects I actually wrote on this because it was such a, a topic that I was I was pretty passionate about in sociology and a lot of 
that stuff uh, that you know it was it was something I was very passionate about and I say that as somebody that grew up in privileged and and white and white privilege and I'll admit that because um, you know you have to admit I wish that I could I can't I can't say um, I can't say what somebody that's in a minority is experiencing when they're talked down upon by you know the police law enforcement everything it's just it, it's heartbreaking it really is and and to see you know finally people realize like we have a serious problem we have to deal with this it, it's um you know even nascar like like a sport like that like to actually put together a video and talk about it and, and you know uh, to have Roger Goodell actually say, I'm wrong. I need to listen to people talk about this. It's, uh, and, and true Brees, it, it's obviously tough to, um, it looks like people have forgiven him in a lot of the aspect that he's, you know, decided like, I need to listen to the people and I need to learn what, what all these problems and, you know, why people are kneeling. Like it's not about the flag. They're trying to get, uh, you know, light onto another subject. And I've said that for years. And, and you look at like other aspects, uh, you know, uh, in 1992, I remember reading a report on this was Craig Hodges was a, a guard for the Bulls, I think. And so uh, who was it? Um, whoever was in office was not treating minorities correct. And he said, I'm not going to go to the White House um, because you're not treating minorities correctly. He wrote him a letter. And back then, what people did for people speaking out was they cut him and he cut, he got cut from the team, never got another, uh, another minute in the NBA. And, and so to see like people are able to, you know, use their platform, speak out and actually, you know, push for something that is legitimately a real issue. I, I really, I really like to see it. And it's really heartbreaking to see all this stuff, the protesting and, and everything on TV that, um, I just hope that people start to push forward and, and unite as one altogether. Yeah, my take on this: I'm the son of a Philip of two Filipino immigrants, and I thank God every day that I was never abused because of the color of my skin by my peers or anyone else. But it's heartbreaking to see all the unrest in the states, and it's really angry. Really makes me ticked off that people think the NFL players are kneeling because they're disrespecting the flag and the military. No, it's not about that. They do it because you got minorities being uh, put, put down by the police and the police. They're supposed to protect the people, not kill them. That's what there's, that's what you learn in elementary school, but this it's 2020 people. Like I don't understand why someone uh, would be would treat someone like trash because they're a different skin color. It's it's sickening, and I'm glad the players are speaking out, and I think more should speak out. Like Elias Pettersson a few days ago, he put out a pretty good statement, and you know not just players. You got teams doing that, uh, sports leagues doing that. You got uh, soccer players wearing justice for Floyd uh, underneath their jerseys. And I'm just glad that I was never um, put down upon because of what I look like. And I'm not going to pretend I understand um, what I know what it's like, but you can't, you gotta, 
have um, compassion here, so, and you gotta feel for the people. These people, imagine walking the streets. I don't know. You're going to the grocery store or something, and you imagine living in fear because a cop might shoot you or something. That's messed up. It's come on, people. It's 2020. Um, we are one race. We are the human race. And uh, I don't care if you're black, if you're Asian or whatever. We're all human beings here. We live on this planet called Earth. And, and if you um, think that your skin color is better than others, and, you, and if you think it's, it's nice to treat um, minorities like trash, uh, you, you need help. You need to be educated. And going forward, I'm just glad uh, we're all speaking out of this. Going forward, we should educate ourselves on why um, minorities are being treated like this. And and if you see anything online or in out in public, you see any acts of racism, don't just stand there. Do something. And and like going more in on the. Uh, Kaepernick part was, uh, you know, when he started kneeling, a lot of people, uh, like, obviously, you know, I understood what he was doing at the start, but a lot of people, even though he explained himself was, it's not about the anthem and all that stuff, is a lot of people thought it was about the flag because people were making it out to be about the flag when it really wasn't. And, 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 it's it was hard to see that happen and and now you know at least people are you know listening to what he was actually trying to do and i saw the nhl put together uh um i think it was an equality team and and he was on um he was on zoom with them talking about and that would have been a pretty moving uh moving get to a moving you know talk let's just say yeah uh, i just want to end uh end this with drew reese's comments Honestly, I've lost all my respect for him after what he said that. He's a great player on, on the field, without a doubt. But to say stuff like that, like, and have your own teammates call call you out and have your fans in New Orleans say, saying, F Drew Brees. Man, I don't know how you can recover that for that. And he, he's got the wrong idea. Uh, I think um... – I really, it was hard because I'm a big Drew Brees fan to see him say something like that. Um, it, it really was because I, you know, he does a lot of charity work and a lot of, a lot of work that, you know, I had a lot of respect for him as a person and to see him make that comment, it, w- it was kind of hard. Let's just say, um, I, I do, um, I do appreciate that he, he sent out stuff saying, you know, I've taken time to learn about what this is about and it's not about the flag and, and it was more the second apology when when um he tagged the guy that who not be named um and, and and said like this isn't about the flag and, and you know you start to see players like michael thomas forgive him and, and obviously i again like i can't speak for somebody that's in a minority that that experiences that type of fear that um I, I can't say like it's easy to forgive him uh, in their position. So um, I'm going to wait and it, I, I'm not going to give a formal opinion on him, I guess, but it, it's hard to, 
it's hard to see somebody that you have such a big respect for um, say something like that. And, and it was a very uneducated thing that he said, and it was really hard to see. Yeah. Let's move on to uh more fun topic. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, NBA and the MLS are slated to return in July, I believe, and they will be both playing their games in Orlando. How many, how many, like, honestly, I'm not a big MLS guy other than the white cats, you know, go to a game. They're always fun. But uh, how many pitches do they have out in Orlando? Or are they, uh, or do they have to be, uh, do they have to be MLS regulation pitches or can they just throw it in at a park? I have no idea, actually. They haven't gotten much into detail with this, but I'm not sure, but from what I've heard, the Whitecaps will be, or they might have already allowed like in-person training and uh, with basketball, the, um, there's plenty of courts, I'm sure, in Orlando. I think they do, um, they do summer league uh, in Orlando in some aspects, because yeah, I, I think they do it in Vegas too. But, but they do it in Orlando, so they can use all those courts. And then uh, I think they'll rent out. The thing is, is like people were talking about the, the sports uh, ESPN hotel, but like uh, we were looking at actually staying there at one point when I went down Orlando and the beds are like, like the rooms are tiny. So I would doubt that they stay there. I'm thinking more like say that it's like five or 10 minutes outside of the courts. That's the thing though, is that part of your bubble? if you're transporting like really closely um, that there's a like, four seasons out there. There's just a ton of like really, cause you're going to have to stay for three months. Like obviously like these are going to have to be relatively nice hotels that they're going to have to stay in. Right. Right. And um, Florida, I'm not sure about their cases, but uh, it's not just about the players. What about the coaches? What about the team doctors and all that? Uh, what about the media? What are they? What are they going to do? Yeah. Uh, how is this going to work? Well, we don't have much details of it now, but I think they got to be careful. Um, they got to test regularly, and there's no 14 day quarantine down in the states, but they really got to crack down any players that might um, break break the self isolation rules. And well, all like that. from what I've heard is. Is so is if you, it, I don't know understand what the rule is, but it's something to do with if you test positive or come in contact with somebody, you're automatic or is I don't know if it's just test positive or come in contact with somebody that you're automatically in quarantine for seven days. So like somebody was pointing out to say like if like LeBron gets it in like in between game one and three, he misses the rest of the series. So it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough in that aspect, but you also have to look out for the, the health of these players and their families. So um, that's why I think, because obviously Florida is very high caseload. And I almost think it's almost like, like it's insane how many cases they have that they're going to have to be very careful in that aspect. But also you look at that's where Vancouver and Edmonton are like, that's the NHL needs them build, build in the 14 day quarantine two year schedule and then put those guys in training camps and, and do it here. And there's so many rinks in Edmonton or Vancouver that you could throw a team in the Okanagan. You could throw a team down in Victoria and, and you could play them out of the Langley event center Coliseum. 
Uh, and then in Edmonton, you could throw a team in, in, in the Oilers arena. You could drive two hours down here in Calgary and plus any AHL arenas they have there. So I think that the NHL really needs to look at the safety of their players um, for Vancouver and Edmonton because they're probably the two most optimal hubs. But all considered, I probably think it'll be in the States as well. Yeah, I don't have much to say about that. With Vancouver, there's um, BC is flattening the curve. And Rogers Arena, well, it'll probably, if it is a hub city, you've got Rogers Arena, you got the Coliseum, UBC even, and all these rinks across the province to use. And players, you got to be careful. I hope there's like constant testing because in the Premier League, that's what they're doing. And Edmonton, there's a Rogers place. I know West Edmonton Mall has some rinks around there. Correct me if I'm wrong. You could drive down to Calgary. You can even go to Red Deer or Leftbridge or wherever these places are. I don't know much about Alberta. But I would like Vancouver and Edmonton to be hub cities. But because of the 14-day quarantine, it's probably going to be in the States. But like where do and also like where do the hitmen play out of uh uh where's uh is it Extal or I don't know where wherever it's called uh where Calgary plays um, yeah the hitmen play in the same arena as they play Langley. in the same arena so it's not like they have a separate like we have to call and see them events yeah, so the Giants playing Langley now eight minutes away from me <laughs> it's uh like almost an hour away from me yeah so that I mean uh nice arena there too like you can easily shoot a Langley event center um ubc like when you talk about vancouver um you've got so many nhl like all the broadcasting capabilities are already there too to to film out of langley to film out of pacific coliseum uh rogers arena any and and i Kelowna also you could throw a team up there uh they've got a really nice facility up there training facilities the whole bit that vancouver speaks for itself really in and the other aspect though is also you've got you got to keep these players happy for three months because if you're a championship team, you're going to be in a hotel for three months. Yep. And uh, let's move on. Uh, it's more of my alley, but so take it away. Chelsea's about to sign Timo Werner. Now Timo Werner is one of the best young strikers in, in the world. He plays, well, he currently plays for RB Leipzig. The RB stands for Red Bull of the Bundesliga, and I believe Leipzig are in the top five area in the Bundesliga, and Werner is good. He's scored about 25 goals this season, which is second in the entire Bundesliga behind Robert Lewandowski, who has 29. And for months, people were saying, uh, Werner's going to go to Liverpool. Yeah, uh, he'll go there. Why would he go to Chelsea? Because Liverpool is a title contender. But just a few days ago, um, guys like Fabrizio Romano and all the football insiders dropped a bomb saying Werner is going to go to Chelsea on a five-year contract. Now, I couldn't believe this. I really couldn't believe this. Because Liverpool, it, I thought it was going to be done. But from what I've heard, Liverpool didn't want to pay the money. They didn't want to pay the release clause. So Chelsea decided to swoop in. And Frank Lampard has said, oh, we need to score more goals. Uh, we're, not, we, we're not clinical enough offensively. Well, Werner's that guy who could score goals, 20, 25. 
and he's only going to get better. And I think this is a great signing. And I just want to say, I hope Chelsea are back. We're back. Do uh, what, what formation do you guys play? Do you, like, do you have, do you see him playing like as a wing or do you see him playing more like as a, as a, like a striker almost? You think he he's a striker? Wing, but I, I've seen him play like, I, I mean, obviously with, with no other sports, I'm watching more soccer, but like, he's just so fast that like, but like also his, his crossing ability, and that's not even talked about really, uh, his ability to set everybody up. Yeah. He can cross the ball well too. Um, Chelsea have Tammy Abraham, who's a young striker. But he's going through growing pains. And we could use Werner as a striker to rotate between him and Abraham. Or you can go Werner and Tammy Abraham together, depending on the formation. And you can throw in Christian Pulisic. To me, that's a deadly front three right there. Yeah. So the thing about Werner is he's so versatile. You can use him as a winger or a striker, and he'll deliver. So um, Chelsea already signed Hakeem Ziyech. From Ajax, who's a just an absolute baller of a winger. Uh, his crossing ability, his free kicks, just uh, top notch. And I hope they can sign a solid left back or even a center back. Or, hell, they can even sign. I know it's unrealistic, but they should at least go after Jaden Sancho, Borussia Dortmund, who grew up a Chelsea fan and is one of the best young players in, in the world. But i say he'd probably go to Manchester United, but just take a crack at him. You never know. So I'm happy Chelsea signed Werner, and hopefully next season uh, Frank Lampard gets what he wants, and hopefully we can make a run for the title again, bring the glory days back to Stamford Bridge. And uh, we're near the end of our podcast here, and normally around this time we do a question period, and we um, look at the best and worst tweets Twitter, but this is our first episode. And as of the time of this recording, I haven't announced this because we just want to take a look at the quality of the audio and all that. But if this does go out there, um, this would be question time and um, the best and worst Twitter. And for future episodes, we will hopefully have some guests on for the guest segment. Now, these guests would be other fans on Twitter, even some media members as well. And I have talked to a few, and they are interested. Uh, Ty, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, no, many. You pretty much covered it all, but I'm just so excited to do this, so I'll say that. I've been like, we, we talk, we've been like back and forth for you know, a while about it, but not, not, nothing confirmed. But um, I think we were trying to do this a, a year ago or so, and it just never worked out. I, we were talking on Twitter about it, like just like conversations, but it never happened. Um, but I'm pumped to do this. I'm sure you are too. Um, and, you know, we'll bring fans on everybody else. Anybody on Twitter will say it. Anybody that wants to talk Canucks or sports. Or uh, anything in general. Anything in general. Pop culture, anything memes. <laughs> anything. But I'm just glad that um, – Hopefully going to get this off the ground. I've been wanting to do a podcast for years. Just never got the time or the equipment, but now I do. And let's hope you all in, um, come along for the ride. Any other thing you want to say, Ty? No, you pretty much covered it all. And uh, thank you for listening to Avid Discussers, and we'll see you next week.